Okay, welcome to Faunafax. Oh gosh, I lost the description. Let me start that over again. Where is it? Wow, this is complete failure. <laughs> okay. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Faunafax, a quasi-educational, fully humorous discussion of animal facts you hopefully didn't already know. I'm Grace. And I'm Mads. And today, I was going to talk about, well, not eyes, but photoreceptors that are, that you can't use to see, if that makes sense. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Well, so you know you have, in humans, we have things called rods and cones, right? Mm-hmm. So those are photoreceptors. That means they absorb light energy. And then in the case of rods and cones, they go to your brain, like a signal is sent to your brain. And then you see things. But we also, animals also have photoreceptors in places all over their bodies that detect light. Just like rods and cones, but you can't use them to see. Okay. It sounds really weird, but I think it's so cool. Do you want me to give you the human example first and we can go to animals? Or I can go to animals first. Because it's like kind of out there, right? Because we're used to like, light means you can see it. But you can actually detect light without seeing it. Well, I guess my first question is, does it work the same way in humans and animals? Other animals? Well, they've done rat studies. Rats and mice. So, I mean, they're mammals, so it works like, kind of similar. And they've found that they have these photoreceptor cells that in their retinas, but they're not rods and cones. And they're found in animals that can't see. And then these poor mice, they ran them in like these experiments where they had these really weird light and dark cycles. So these mice are blind, but because they had these other cells, it actually affected their mood quite a bit. When they put them in weirdo light cycles, these mice were super sad and they couldn't learn. Oh no. Wait, so you, okay. When you say weird light cycles, you don't just mean they were in the dark, you mean they so they actually put them in, pretend you want 12 hours of light and 12 hours of night. They mixed it up. They're like, how about two hours of light and then four hours of dark? But in the end, it's still, in a day, it's still equaled 12 hours of light and 12 hours of dark. So they did that and like, you'd think it wouldn't matter, but actually because they have these cells, these photoreceptors that or in the eye just hanging out, their mood was, they were sad, sad mice that couldn't like learn very well. But you can find these cells in all sorts of parts of the body. Um, you can find in the brain. The photoreceptor cells? Yeah, and people don't really know why. Sometimes in some animals they think it might be, like you have an inner sense of day and night, so that's why you should I mean, most people wake up at the same time and they feel sleepy. 
it's not because you've been doing things all day. It's because your body's like, okay, it's nighttime because I, I have this system in place, this circadian rhythm that tells me it's nighttime. And so time to go to bed. So some of these might help with circadian rhythms. There's also in mice, they found these in blood vessels. And depending on the time of day, sometimes the blood vessels would contract or relax. So they think it's the reason most people have heart attacks in the morning. What? Yeah. But how, how does a blood vessel... So, so your eye makes sense to me because your eye is exposed to the outer world, but a blood vessel in your body, how does a blood vessel know if it's light or not? Because, I mean, you can see some of your blood vessels through your skin. Like your veins and stuff? Yeah. And you know when you're, you get hot, you can see your blood vessels better, right? Sure. Yeah, that's because they're dilating more towards the surface. So your body changes your blood vessel diameter all the time. But it's just the ones really close to the surface, I think. I don't know that much. Like, I don't think it's deep tissue vessels that are doing this. I think it's the stuff. I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't read that paper. How deep can light penetrate? I'm not sure. And then I'm also thinking about, like, if it's winter or if you're wearing a lot of clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty complicated because your blood vessels are controlled by a lot of different things. It's not just light. I think um, if it was just light, that'd be a big problem. <laughs> a really big problem. So I was going to ask where are some of the other places that you were saying they could be found? That is just what I was about to talk about. So in other animals, not just humans and rodents, they're found in the cells that control pigmentation. So if you've ever wondered how an octopus or fish know how to change their colors to match their background. What? Yeah, they have these photoreceptors in their skin. So obviously octopuses and squids, if you've ever seen them change color, they have a lot of them. A lot, a lot, right? Yeah. Like what about like cuttlefish? Same thing, right? Yep. Cuttlefish and squid, definitely. You've ever wondered how you've seen like a I don't know if you've ever seen a tree frog that's been sitting on your roof or something and it's black and you're like what why did you turn black <laughs> it's because it has these cells too and it has photoreceptors that are telling it like oh you're sitting on a bunch of black stuff you should turn black wow i know this is kind of illustrating that there's a lot about color that i don't fully know yeah, I know more about photoreceptors than I do about color. Mm -hmm. So a photoreceptor is then responding to the amount of light reflecting off of things in the environment, which indicates kind of what color they are, question mark, question mark. Yeah, I think that's, hmm, that's a good question. It is, yep, yep, that's true. <laughs> I had to think about it, but yeah. You can just use, okay, rods and cones. So cones, you have three. So they allow you to see red, green, and blue. So if you see something blue, there's light hitting that object. All the wavelengths except 
the blue wavelength is absorbed and then the blue is reflected in your eyeball right and hits that photoreceptor does that make sense that does that does so yeah these photoreceptors there's light reflecting from something from the background or maybe it's coming from the sky or something and it's hitting that photoreceptor and the photoreceptor says oh i know that color but i mean if it's not sensitive to that color like it's a photoreceptor that's sensitive to blue and red hits it it's not gonna do anything Mm. do you want to know the last place well not the last place there's like tons of places these things are found but how i know about these is they're also found in butterflies which you study as a reminder yes they are found on the genitals of butterflies what Yeah, I bet you weren't expecting that. I wasn't. Yeah, they're found on the genitals of butterflies, and they're sensitive to UV blue color, and the males need these in order to mate. They just cannot mate with females. I don't know if all butterflies have them, but a lot do. Really? Yeah. They discovered it in swallowtails, because the guy is like Kentaro Arikawa. He's really known for butterfly vision. He's just poking around, and he noticed this neuron was going off like crazy, and he's like, I'm not even touching this butterfly. What's going on? It can't even work. And so he turned off the light, and then the neuron activity stopped. He's like, oh. And then he turns it back on, and then, yeah, it started going crazy again. He's like, oh, my gosh, there's a photoreceptor down there. (laughs) So the males cannot mate when they don't have this. So if they destroy it or paint over it, they can't mate. But if they put clear nail polish as the go-to, they can still mate fine. Wait, what? So for the experiments, they're like, how do we know? They either destroyed it. Wait, destroyed what? They destroyed the photoreceptor. But it's on the genitals. Yeah, they did it very, very carefully. I'll say! It's not like on the... I mean, it's very close i'd say i i don't know i kind of glazed when i started reading about the different parts of the genitals i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) i don't need to know that much and then females it detects the position of their ovipositor so that's what they use to lay eggs Mm -hmm. so if they don't have it then they just jam their abdomen against the leaf, and then they have no idea if their ovipositor is out and ready to lay egg. <laughs> and so they just don't lay eggs if they need it to lay eggs. Wow. I know. It's pretty amazing. Wow. I know. It's weird to think because I think we don't have to look at something to know where it is, right? Yeah. We're really aware of our bodies. I think most people are, at least. But obviously, butterflies, they can't do it unless they can see it. Yeah, so that's what I have, seeing from the back of your head, right? That's so <laughs> cool, though. Yeah, it's really weird. I, I like that this really ran the gamut of, like, a bunch of different animals. Yeah, I had to... I knew the one about butterflies, and I was like, I know there's more out there. <laughs> and my advisor told me the one about the humans that we have in our skin. Because one of my students are like, hey, would you get locked in a room with no light for a month if you get a billion dollars? 
And I was like, no. And they're like, why? And I was like, because you have photoreceptors in your skin and you'd go crazy <laughs> without light. They were like, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew about that one too. But the other ones were interesting. I didn't know about the octopus. Mm. Wait, follow-up question. Is it real light, like sunlight, or artificial light also? I think it, it can be either one. So if you were locked in a room with artificial light, it would be okay? That's a good question. I mean, artificial light definitely isn't as bright, and you might be missing the UV. I don't know how important that UV is. So thank you for sharing. What do you have? What's great about having this podcast now is that people just aggressively tell me animal facts sometimes. That's cool, I guess. Oh, I mean it only in a positive way. Feel free to always unsolicited come up to me and tell me animal facts. And so when I was talking about it to somebody, they said, oh, kind of like how there's coyotes that live in New York City. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of this? I think I heard about, I didn't hear about it in New York City. I remember as a child learning it about it on Magic School Bus. <laughs> I know there are such things as urban coyotes. While I may have heard the term urban coyote before, I definitely had never heard of them being in New York City, which, sorry to anyone that has lived here longer than I have or knows more than I do, and it seems like it is sort of more well-known than I thought it was. But, yeah, there's literally this entire organization that's called the Gotham Coyote Project, founded by, I'm going to mess up his last name, Chris Nagy? Nagy? They're not really sure how long coyotes have been in the city for, but there were definitely sightings in the 90s and then in the early thousands, and then the media began regularly covering sightings in the Bronx and Manhattan in 2010, and so Nagy decided with some other ecologists decided to use their weekends for some coyote research. They literally didn't know like where they were, uh, how many there were. So they basically just went to city parks and looked for paw prints. And then eventually they started setting up some camera traps. Basically in the beginning, they only found evidence of coyotes living in the far northern edge of the Bronx, which is like, do you know uh, about New York City geography at all? Okay, so there's Manhattan, north of the Bronx. Or, wait, no, I don't think, let's see, there's Brooklyn and then the Bronx. I don't know if I know where the Bronx, the Bronx is in, I don't know. <laughs> so Manhattan is an island, right? And then Bronx is the southern tip of the landmass north of it. To the east is Long Island, the whole island, and then the part that's part of New York City is the northern half is Queens, and then the southern half is Brooklyn, and then there's also Staten Island, which is, again, another island that is to the south of Manhattan. So those are the five boroughs. So the Bronx is the furthest north, and in the beginning, when they were looking for evidence of coyotes, they only found them in the far northern edge of the Bronx. So, you know, kind of like sort of almost actual New York, the state, as opposed to New York, the city. But in the years since that, uh, they've seen coyote families with pups uh, further south in the Bronx. There's like rumors that there's been sightings in all five boroughs, but it doesn't seem that they're living in all five for sure. Like, they're just traveling through. Yeah, maybe. 
it's really hard to get an accurate count of how many coyotes there are because all they have are these cameras and you know it's not super easy to tell one coyote apart from another on film but as far as they know it seems that the NYC coyotes are both picking up new territory and also becoming stronger in numbers. I think like five-ish years ago, the estimate was maybe the high teens. And I think I saw somewhere else it was 30s now is the guess. Okay. There's some nice parks in New York. Oh, shoot. Where did my cousin stay? Oh, I can't remember. It was someplace in Manhattan. Triton Park? Tryon Park? It's near, um, oh, shoot. The, what's the other part of the Met? What is it? The Cloisters? Like all the way up north? But isn't that Manhattan? Yeah. Oh, Fort Tryon Park. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was a nice park. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's like at the northern part of Manhattan. And so they're saying there's a bunch of parks in like the South Bronx, like Van Cortland. I'm not sure that that park is big enough, but maybe... Yeah, I guess I don't know how much room they... I mean, they can get pretty big. And I feel like they're really shy. So actually, the conference I attended this summer, there was a researcher who was presenting her data. So her project was trying to figure out if urban coyotes were better at solving puzzles than other coyotes. But she showed this video of this coyote, and she's like, yeah, it was really hard to get data to have them even solve the puzzle box because they are so afraid of new things. And it just shows this coyote circling the box. And then another night, it just came up and started digging right in front of the (laughs) box, but would not actually engage with the puzzle box. (laughs) Furiously digging. Like, oh gosh. Okay. Yeah, I can see why they'd have trouble tracking those guys if every time they see a new camera, they're like, nope, time to leave this place. There's, like, something they do, I can't remember exactly, but they put some sort of, like, treats around something that smells good around the cameras to kind of get them to move closer to it and inspect it long enough for them to be able to snap a picture. Okay. But yeah, it there was some discussion about, oh, are these coyotes somehow different genetically, but researchers were saying that coyotes don't need to have any sort of DNA adaptation because they're actually pre-adapted to thrive in urban environments and they're really behaviorally intelligent and as you said they're problem solvers and use a broad range of food types and den sites so the more interesting question isn't if there's some sort of genetic variation that makes them better suited but why they would migrate to such a heavily populated area in the first place yeah because you think the rest of New York State is not a bad place to live. No, not for a coyote. No, it's it gets like a lot more. Not for a coyote? What does that mean? I am I just meant as opposed to the city. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I was just thinking about like natural beauty. I'm more of a country mouse and you're more of a city mouse though. That's true. I mean, it is, it is pretty. It's pretty. I do not deny So, a little coyote history. Historically, coyotes called the deserts and prairies of a lot of the western U.S. and then some parts of Mexico and Canada uh, as their home. But within the last 100 to 150 years, coyotes have been expanding their range north, south, east, and west, every direction, 
and they live so many places. So they live as far north as Alaska and as far south as Panama. Oh, I didn't realize they lived that far south. Yeah, they just, they're everywhere. And so in the northeast, because humans cleared forests for farmland, providing an open habitat that was very familiar to these coyotes. They really expanded their range. And then we also were eliminating cougars and wolves that outcompete or prey on coyotes. And so they kind of filled up that space. Yeah, New York City is actually only the latest in a long line of cities that coyotes call home, as you were saying, the urban coyote. And interestingly, Long Island, so what I was saying, Long Island is that huge island where only the tip of it that's closest to Manhattan contains Brooklyn and Queens, which is like part of the city. Long Island, the whole island, remains the last large landmass in the U.S. without coyotes. Oh, wow. That's interesting because, I mean, in Chicago, it's definitely a big city, but it's more spread out. So I wonder, I mean, it's not like, there's way more trees and parks and stuff, but I can see it being more coyote friendly than New York City. Yeah, it also just, they seem to, the Gotham Coyote Project really seemed to highlight how adaptive the coyotes are. They're kind of this paradox where they seem to do well in urban areas, but they're, as you said as well, also always avoiding direct contact with people. Yeah. If people were like, wow, I'm seeing a lot of coyotes, they would definitely be hunted down immediately. (laughs) If people were, like, seeing coyotes every day. Yeah, I mean, they're not seeing them every day, but they are seeing them, like, uh, frequently enough that, like, you can go on the New York City's Parks Department website and they have, like, a whole page about, like, coyotes, how to live with coyotes in peace, (laughs) like. Oh, really? Yeah, I was actually really surprised. Yeah, like, it seems that the city is very aware that they're here and also wants people to leave them alone and not attack them. Although then I also found, of course, like, articles from news media of, like, how to protect your pets from the, like, recent rash of coyote sightings. Do people let their pets just roam around New York City (laughs) off-leash? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, there aren't as many cats that are indoor outdoor but it still happens because you know the way you're envisioning new york city manhattan is a completely different vibe and like structure than the other boroughs and so people can have like homes with like yards and oh yeah that's true i only visited your apartment yeah so and that was pretty urban yeah That was in Queens, but if we had walked, I could have, like, taken you, like, in certain directions, and you would have been like, oh, but, yeah, especially the further you get from Manhattan, the more that that is the case. Yeah, that's true. I mean, all I know about New York City is what I've seen on TV and the five days I visited you. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I know there's houses on Staten Island, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you'll just have to come back. Yeah, I will. We'll go coyote hunting. I mean, not hunting. I know, but you know what I mean. Search. Coyote watch. Searching. Yes, searching. (laughs) But yeah, I just liked this quote from Nagy, who is the person who founded the Coyote Gotham Project or Gotham Coyote Project, because 
their top of the food chain predator, their existence is like a clear sign that the rest of the ecosystem in the city can't be doing that bad, which is kind of comforting. And so Nagy says the coyote is this ambassador to a new way of thinking about cities and where we live. Yeah. Taking a step towards opening the door for every other important species we are a little leery of. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You see those pictures of bears eating out of trash cans behind the McDonald's. I'm not sure you want that, but... Yeah, I mean, they seem like they stay out of the way, like, aggressively. And they're actually really cute. I'm gonna... I mean, probably eat rats. I bet they're eating rats. (laughs) Well, maybe, yeah. It seems like they do eat trash and, like, everything. But then, if they're eating the trash, what are the rats gonna eat? So, still solves your rat problem. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you're saying that is a good thing. I was like, don't worry. The rats <laughs> the rats will always find something. No, I, I mean, I like rats when they're not in your house, in your garbage. Listen. Not city rat person. Like, rats stay in the woods. Rats aren't really in your house. Mice are in your house, but rats are, like, in the subway and in the parks and on the streets. <laughs> they're cute they're cute but they spread a lot of disease i guess i mean most of them are not they're not the cute wood rats they're not native they're norwegian rats oh really yeah no they came over from europe well so did we (laughs) yes i know that's that's why they came over spread equally terribly (laughs) spreading disease wow it's all just the same anyway This has been Fauna Facts with Grace and Mads. If you would like to see some riveting visuals, uh, I will say the coyote pics I'm going to post are pretty cute. So... Do you have some puppies? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. That would be cute. I found one that... I don't know if I can post this online, but I'm going to try to figure out how to post this on Instagram. But there's one of these coyote pups playing with a trash bag in a park. It's really cute. Okay, so as I alluded, you if you want to see visuals for this episode, you can find us on Instagram at Fonifax Podcast. If you don't have, don't want to use Instagram, you can go to our blogger, which is the same thing, fonifaxpodcast.blogspot.com. If you want to email us with some Fonifax or comments, questions, concerns, that is fonifaxpodcast at gmail.com. Hopefully you are sensing a theme here. And <laughs> please subscribe, rate us, review us, five stars only, please. And yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye.